Welcome to Unsung Heroes with Johnny, Daniel, James, and Sam. Our goal is to leave no hero unsung. Welcome to the Unsung Heroes podcast. I'm Johnny and I'm joined by some friends. We have James. Hey, everybody. We have Samuel. Hello. And we have Daniel. <laughs> okay, that, you're okay. moving from saying hello to doing your own intro theme song? Like, what is this? <laughs> Welcome to my podcast. Again, I just never think about what, how to say hi. And then all of a sudden, Johnny started the recording and I just, I freak out. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should have given you more time to prep. Daniel, but yeah, uh, that's, that's I fine. still I still appreciate the intro. Mm. Yes. Uh, so today we are continuing on our shorter version of the episodes. We are uh, making it more like twenty or thirty minutes, and no fully produced song, but we will be improving one at the end. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but today we have Samuel Hurd here to tell us about a hero named Eunice Carter, and I know absolutely nothing about her, so I'm going to let him just go ahead and take it away. Yeah. Well, to give you a little bit of an introduction to Eunice Carter, she um, she's actually a really fascinating figure. She is uh, considered to be one of the first African-American prosecutors in the United States. So, wow. Yeah. So we're we're entering into the uh, the realm of law and uh, and juries. So this should be an interesting episode. That's a new realm for us, guys. That sounds it really is. true. Yeah. We're, we're entering into new territories. Uh, so she's, yeah, she did a lot of different things, but what I want to do, because this is a shortened episode, we want to look at one story in particular of uh, her time. So, yeah. So when, how long ago was this? Yeah. So this was actually, the story takes place in the 1930s. So honestly, when you picture this story taking place, or at least when I was reading about it and when I was researching about it. I, I really felt like it had like a film noir feel, like you know the black and white and the yeah. and like the cigarette smoke everywhere, yeah. and uh, like the jazz music in the background. And you'll see why too. Hopefully, you guys will get that same idea. <laughs> ah, you did it! Ah, I know. Ah. <laughs> I knew it was you. <laughs> That's exactly it. I knew she was trouble the day she walked into my office. <laughs> <laughs> had that kind of jazzy music in the background. <laughs> oh, so maybe my introduction was actually foreshadowing this. Actually. Hey. Hey. Don't stretch it. <laughs> do ba do ba do ba Okay. <laughs> so, well, I will go ahead and get started just to kick things off with Eunice Carter. So... The first thing that I want you guys to recognize about Eunice Carter is that this woman uh, is an incredibly smart woman. She um, she was born in 1899, and by the time that she was 22, uh, in 1921, she had received both a master's and an undergrad degree already. So wow. she was living in New York for uh, a good portion of that time, received these degrees uh, in social work. But after doing a few years of social work, she decided to go and dive in, like I said before, into law. So in 1932, she became the first black woman to graduate with a law degree from Fordham University in New York City. Wow. So, wow. so already a very impressive figure. She's definitely uh, groundbreaking in a lot of different ways. Uh, but to kind of dive into the story uh, of what's made her so heroic in my mind, 
she, after graduating from law school, she decided she'd become a prosecutor, which basically that's a, a person who um, works in the, with the United States government to prosecute those who uh, are held up in court. Uh, and after graduating from law school, she, she was put into what they call the women's courts. So I didn't know this, but basically um, during this time, interesting enough, they decided to divide the courts uh, into men and women. So the men had their own courts and the women had their own courts. And the women's courts, uh, typically during this time, they dealt um, primarily with prostitution. Um, Hmm. So she was handling all these cases as a prosecutor, uh, dealing with various prostitutes who had been picked up on the streets of New York City, either um, put into prison. She's dealing with these cases. And this is where it gets a little interesting and a little bit film noir-y in a sense. Uh, After she starts taking on these cases, she begins to notice that all of the prostitutes who are coming into court were being represented by the same lawyers and we're typically being bailed out by the same bondsmen. Hmm. So hmm. that does that does sound like something like a private eye in a film noir would be like, "There's a trail. I gotta find. <laughs> I gotta figure this out." <laughs> hey, I'm still kind of back on this uh, like women's court. So uh, this might be beyond the realms of this short episode right now. But was that for propriety's sake? Like, was there a reason that courts were divided in this way? I don't think I've ever heard of that before. Was it like they didn't want you know at that time men to be listening to this kind of stuff or like I'm, I'm interested in that yeah i have no idea to be honest <laughs> <laughs> to answer your question i can't i cannot do you know if like there was like an all-female jury in the female courts i don't think so i think primarily this was just a way to to kind of organize the different court systems uh and for some reason, I'm, I'm not exactly sure why this is, but they decided to put all of these women's uh, cases all in the same all in the same court for some reason. Watch that that still exists today. We just don't know about it. Like, just showing our ignorance. <laughs> yeah, when you, when you first said all men and all women, I assumed that the all men court, every single position there were men. Like right. the jury, the judge, and same with the women, where like the guards are women, the jury's women. Yeah. It's a well, very odd thing. <laughs> it's like some dystopian future novel sort of thing. Yeah. It does sound kind of, yeah, that does sound kind of like a dystopian novel. Um, yeah, to answer your question, I, I really think it, it just did have to do with organizing these cases that they, for some reason or another, they wanted to put all of these prostitution cases on their own separate right uh, segment um, okay gotcha for some reason or another and maybe it did have to do with kind of segregating those genders for propriety's sake or w- whatever so i'm not exactly sure but that is a very good question for our fans out there to uh give us comments in our social media please hey, hey. <laughs> Nice. So you said so, this one guy was um, the same person was bailing these women out. Is that what you said? Yes. Basically, these women would go into the court, and uh, an interesting thing is they were giving very similar stories to one another. So they would share what had happened, why they were in this business. Uh, the lawyers who were defending them were all. They typically came from the same legal firm, uh, if not the exact same lawyers. So. Um, so Eunice Carter, she would be seeing 
one week after another, the same lawyers and the same firm coming in and the same people to bail them out. So when you're, when you're in this, you start to notice these things. And you, when you start noticing them, that's, it's kind of a giveaway that like, okay, something is up because this isn't like, why on earth would all of these uh, prostitutes be getting the same lawyer? You know, it, it just seems a little bit shady. Um, so she begins to do some investigations uh, to figure out why exactly all of these, exactly how are all of these cases connected to one another, trying to figure out what are the details of all of these prostitutes who are coming in, why are they all having the same lawyers, the same bondsmen bail them out, and here's what she figures out. Um, so she looks at all the cases and she realizes that they're all connected to a mafia leader named Lucky Luciano. Ooh. So mm. uh, to give you some background about Lucky Luciano, he is really considered the father of organized crime in the United States, Man. which is, oh, no. this is fascinating to me. He, in many ways, like when you think of like the stereotypical mafia gangster, this is this guy. Uh, he started like popping up in the 20s with the bootlegging of the, Prohibition era, he began to uh, start racketeering, extortion, all of these different things. And he became one of the prominent crime uh, facilitators in New York City. So uh, he really is considered kind of like the the person who invented the modern mafia. Um, So everybody knows about him, but nobody's been able to stop him or catch him in any way. But she she realizes that each of these people have in some way or another been connected with lucky Luciano. So, so um, do you know like what kind of connections she would have made to that? Like how, uh, like, is it just people in the mob are contacting the lawyers or they're actually hiring the prostitutes or like, like what do you know any of those kind of connections? Well, in this sense, like at this point, the connection is kind of vague, like, Basically, from my guess, it's probably like a a name reference here and there that keeps coming up for some reason. Um, It does have to do with a legal firm. Um, Basically, that's so funny. It sounds even the way you said that sounds like film noir. Like his name just kept coming up for some reason. Just kept coming up. (laughs) Lucky Luciano. Why do I keep seeing this name? (laughs) But, uh, but she is starting to realize that a lot of the funding for this whole operation was from Lucky Luciano. So he's kind of the supplier that uh, is kind of letting the system continue as it is. So is he, is he funding the defense lawyers for these prostitutes cases to keep the the system going? Is that essentially what he's doing? Essentially? Yes. Interesting. Wow. He's behind the funding of these lawyers who are coming and bailing out the, the um the prostitutes the lawyers who are coming to defend them uh he's the man who's kind of orchestrating all of that to get them back into this prostitution ring that is going on wow wow okay so wow. so she finds she finds this connection to lucky luciano so what 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 after that so she's doing these investigations for several months. uh, And at this point she's been hired as kind of a, an assistant to the district attorney, which is kind of like when you're talking 
U.S. government legal issues. That's kind of like a in New York, she was kind of like one of the head lawyers or an assistant to the head lawyer. So this head attorney, uh, his name is Thomas Dewey. Uh, he, he Carter basically starts working with Dewey, and they start to investigate the cases, like I said, and she eventually is able to figure out uh, through doing various interviews with different women and actually using wiretaps and different conversations, she learned about a prostitution ring that was happening throughout the city. And she was able to learn all of the different locations where all of these, essentially all of these brothels were taking place. Um, wow. So this is what they decided to do. She went up to uh, Dewey and got her or got his approval to be able to, to get this done. But in February of 1936, uh, Carter decides to conduct a raid on 200 brothels throughout Manhattan and Brooklyn. Jeez, 200 wow. of them. Yeah. Wow. So this is all going to take place on the, over the course of one night uh, with 160 police officers. And this is the, this wait, is the crazy wait, thing to wait, me. Wait, wait, wait a second. They're using 160 police officers to raid 200 <laughs> brothels. Johnny, I'm assuming it wasn't simultaneous. <laughs> Some people are searching five at the same time. Hey, we could do this over months, or we could get all of our officers to split up and do it in one day. <laughs> one officer per brothel. One. Hey, guys. No. Actually, they did split up into different groups, um, and there is a reason for that, and I'll get to the reason why they they kind of spread out throughout the throughout the city all in one day. Um, but I mean, they didn't all go all at once. I mean, they would go and then come back to <laughs> each of these different locations. Of course, okay. right. I was yeah, going to yeah, say yeah. at the end of the night, they're all for some reason confused that forty of the brothels weren't <laughs> visited by a police officer. How did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody got the math wrong. So. Oh, but this is the really crazy thing about this raid that they're doing. The entire raid was extremely secretive. Uh, so basically, Carter decided that the police officers would be spread throughout the city, but they wouldn't be told their assignment until five to ten minutes uh, before. Uh, that makes that sense. makes sense because I was gonna I was gonna ask like how in the world can you carry out such a big thing? I was going to say at that time when, you know, police corruption is huge, obviously. It right. Still exactly. happens today. But like, how do you keep that on the DL from yeah. such a lucky so, guy as whatever his name is? Lucky Luciano. Lucky Luciano. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she recognized it. it. Honestly, this is the 30s in New York City. This is probably one of the most corrupt times uh, in the city, like the history of the city. So she recognizes that. And so what she decides to do is she decides not to tell them what their assignment is uh, until five or 10 minutes before, like I said, but she puts them in different locations throughout the city. And she tells them that uh, within like, like at 9 PM, they're going to do this, this raid, this assignment. And at 8:55, they would figure out what they're doing. So they're given their orders at 8:55 PM. And by 9 PM, they, they learn what they're doing and they go and they raid each of the brothels in the city. So they go in, they, they find all of the people, they, they start handcuffing people. They start interrogating and figuring out what is going on. Uh, and by the end of the night, by the end of, of this raid, they had gotten 
10 men and 100 women all locked up in prison. Wow. Wow. So, man. Do you know how they communicated with so many police officers without cell phones or whatever? (laughs) That's what I was trying to figure out. The way I think they did it was they were given letters and they were told that they couldn't open it until a few minutes beforehand. Wow. Um, wow. That's like some survivor stuff. Right it really there. is. Would, <laughs> would, they, would they have like, would they have had like radio transmission sort of thing, like dispatch stuff at that time? Uh, they probably, let's see, the 1930s? Because wasn't yeah. radio stuff invented before? It, they had yeah, radio. They, they had radio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe that's and we're, our, our millennial showing, we're like, did they have radio in the 30s? <laughs> <laughs> of course they, they have did. these radio devices. Unless, that... unless FDR's fireside chats were very literal <laughs> compared did, to what I was taught. Did, did they have the? Did they even have electricity back then? Like, how does this even work? So basically, what they do is they, they take all of these women and um, all of these people to the police station, and instead of this is what it said in the research. Apparently, when they had done raids beforehand in the past, they would just let them be in prison for a few days, and then for some reason or another, they would let them go. I'm not sure exactly why. Give them huh. a stern talking They're to. They're all paid off. Release. I think so. <laughs> Interesting. Ooh. I can hear the film noir music now. For some reason or another, they're all laid off. <laughs> they're <laughs> all laid off. <laughs> they all received Lucky Luciano books. <laughs> <laughs> um, but instead, this time, what they decided to do was they they put them in prison, had their court sentence almost immediately, and they set a bail to $10,000. Man, that's a lot of money. Which is a ridiculous amount of money, especially during that time. Um, and if you're thinking about this from like from a, a mafia perspective, which try not to have that mafia perspective normally, but <laughs> you, Samuel's corrupting me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you have a hundred of these women who are in prison and they each have a bond of ten thousand dollars, there's no way you're going to a- be able to pay all of that off. Right. Yeah. Hmm. That's supposedly like a hundred fifty thousand in today's money. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. I guess the mob was probably also profiteering off of this industry. So you're cutting off a bunch yeah. of the revenue, I'm sure. As right. Well as, exactly. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're cutting off the revenue, and you're you're basically destroying this industry mm. right right in front of them. Wait, um, Daniel, you mean ten thousand dollars was one hundred fifty dollars today? Not not the total for all a hundred. Yeah, no, just just ten thousand dollars, one hundred fifty. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, okay, yeah. so for all a hundred women, that would be you know, oh my that'd be like ten million dollars. Wow. Yeah, fifteen million dollars. Yeah, which is a ridiculous amount of money. Um, so basically, like, what they've done at this point is they've taken out this this profiting business right in front of them, um, and they've. Yeah, they basically just defunded this and, like, broken it apart, uh, which is why they had all of the police officers go in all at once rather than doing this over the course of several months. Oh, I see. Uh, that makes sense, yeah, because yeah. then they would be able to afford bailing them all out eat one at a time. Well, even just then, if—I if, mean, this this happens quite often, but as soon as somebody knows about something going on, they're going to move. Yeah, I mean, these, right. So my, my, my wife worked for an organization that helped— um, assist um, children specifically who were getting caught in uh, human trafficking. And she had to go through a bunch of training for this. And she was telling me that um, 
there's so many legal hoops you have to jump through and situations that have to be lined up so perfectly in order to bust people. Um, right. and, and because traffickers are so extremely smart in how they do this, it's an extremely terrifying system they have. So they'll usually know immediately if something goes wrong. And if you give them one hint or an inch of um, information ahead of time, they can just be gone in a second. Hmm. You know, They have these things yeah. prepared for because they know what they're doing is wrong and they're trying to get around the law. So I imagine it's amazing that she was able to pull this all off. Yeah. Yeah. It is really quite a feat. And yeah, very similar circumstances of like, honestly, this was sex trafficking going on right in front of them. And to be able to get all of this out uh, was quite a feat, of course. Um, So basically what they are able to figure out um, from these circumstances is after doing several weeks of interrogations with these women and figuring out what's going on, many of the women were in fact being kind of coerced into prostitution by Luciano. So this isn't something that they just willingly volunteered themselves into. This is Mm -hmm. something that in one way or another, either blackmail or uh, some other form of coercion, they were being forced into this business that uh, really was, I don't know. It was just horrifying to think about. Um, So, a lot of these women confess to Luciano and they give enough evidence to, uh, to Carter to be able to, to get a warrant on him. So of course though, Luciano being the mafia mobster that he is, he finds out about the raid. And so in March, so the next month in 1936, he flees to hot Springs, Arkansas, which <laughs> don't ask me why he chooses that place of That's all. That's where you got to go, buddy. <laughs> and this is this is where it gets really funny too because he chooses Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, and the most ironic thing in the world is that a New York detective was in Hot Springs for a completely different reason at the exact same time that Luciano was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so New York detective is walking around doing his own case, minding his own business, turns a corner, sees Luciano and recognizes him and immediately reports it to Dewey. Bink pot. Hey. <laughs> so he was arrested the next day. Um, what are the chances that the detective would be in, in hot Springs, Arkansas? <laughs> and Jeez. so they got Man. him. It was they, an angel of the law. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. It divine appointment wow. um but they they ship him back to new york and he's given 30 to 50 years uh for 60 cases of involuntary prostitution so wow. basically coercing people into prostitution Dang. so Jeez. yeah that is the accomplishment of eunice carter she wow. uh she continued to work in law for several years she uh, lived until the age of 70 she it's honestly amazing this kind of accomplishment especially during this time wow yeah that's incredible the fact that they were smart enough to pull off the raid and then just happen to (laughs) arrest him in hot springs i mean (laughs) what are the chances yeah man wow wow that's crazy yeah i feel like that i mean i i I don't know how like the mob worked at that point, but I mean, it sounds like from what you said of Lucky Luciano, it hadn't really become what it is today or like they didn't have the same avenues that they use today. So Mm -hmm. the fact I feel like the mob was trying to figure out how to operate as well as 
the yeah. police trying to figure out how to combat that. Right. So it's just a really interesting time to like hear about the beginnings of this New York mob versus cop battle, you know? Right. This is really at the the very start of it. Um, yeah. Because like I said, Luciano is really kind of one of the first ones to pioneer this organized crime life. So it is really an interesting story of how it's all, <laughs> how this war began. I feel like all the all the mobster predecessors, like or all the mobster people that came after him, must have been like, "All right, guys, rule number one: no going to Hot Springs, Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from Arkansas, man." <laughs> yeah, that's funny, but wow, wow, yeah. that's an awesome story. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, sharing with us, Sam. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Sam. Yeah, I'm really glad I got to hear about Eunice Carter. That's a Eunice especially Carter. good hero. It's so interesting to hear about the first African-American female prosecutor and she pulled like who did such an amazing thing. I mean, that that in and of itself is impressive by itself. But the fact that she not only was the first one, but that she took down a criminal warlord like like, yeah, Luciano. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, I I don't know many prosecutors who've done that since. So, yeah, no one's taken down Luciano (laughs) since then. She was the first. first. She has the world record for the fastest time it takes to take Lucky Luciano down. I mean, (laughs) yes. Makes me wonder, though, like how many times she must have been discredited just because of her race and gender, given the time period. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that would have ever played into it. but Well, I I will say that uh, Dewey, so... Her boss was a one. It, he was basically the one who got a lot of the credit for this, even though she right. was the one who was kind of the mastermind behind it. And yeah. part of that was just because of her role and his kind of supervisory position. Um, but sure. he really, he actually went on and became kind of a big name in U.S. crime history uh, while she yeah. was kind of put in the sideline. Yeah. Right. Wow. Dang. Wow. Well, yeah. true, the true makings of an unsung hero. Yep. That's the combo. She qualifies. Well, thanks, Sam. That's a very interesting, cool story to hear about for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, before we improv a song, let's improv a reenactment of Dewey's colleagues asking him why he shouldn't take all the credit. So (laughs) here, uh, James, you be Dewey, I'll be his colleague. Ask me about, ask me for the truth. Uh, so, uh, Jerry, what's the truth in this matter? Oh, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> Deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. <laughs> Complete improv. You need Eunice Carter. You want Eunice Carter. <laughs> you need her. Wow. Oh 100% accurate right yeah, there. Yeah, that's how it went down. That's yeah. And 100% improv right there. Too. 100%. Yeah, that, that was, just, you could tell that was improv. Yeah, it just, it just came to me. You know? You need just, to put that in a movie script. I should. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it could be could Tom Cruise play my part though. I don't, it could be like uh, a, a a a several nice people movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a several. <laughs> these, re- <laughs> these references are getting way too like out of hand. Several nice, nice people. <laughs> now the audience might think I'm referring to Twelve Angry Men, but I'm not. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. It's time for the song. <laughs> We're about okay. to wrap this up, aren't we, That's Johnny? That's true. Oh, uh, I see what you did there. I. Uh, uh, wait, what did I do there? Uh, what? We're, we're going to do a rap, right? Yeah. It's time to wrap. Oh, I didn't up. even realize I was making a pun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Wow. That was wow. That just ruined it. 
that really did. I'm sorry, guys. I I legitimately made a pun. I wasn't aware of. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so what what's what are some lyrics we want in there? Well, yeah. I took some notes while you were writing, so I kind of have some lines of rhyme here already. So well, I, I haven't tested it out yet, so this might be awful, but, but right. let's give it a go. So I'll be uh, on the the beatbox over here. So. All right, let's do it. Uh. Got her masters in 1932. No one holding her down. She'll prosecute them too. Kept her up in the ladies' court where things were getting fishy. Prostitutes getting shocked from lawyers being tricky. Eunice looked over for an answer, but it proved pretty hard though. Cause the mob had a hand with Lucky Luciano. Dewey helped her out and gave her a hand. Carter started sleuthing and found a criminal land. He raided all the brothels over and over. Hundreds of cops taking one after the other. She gets all the evidence to take the mob down. The Luciano left the scene and goes to Hot Springs, but she he gets reported and gets taken downtown. Yeah. Wow. I gotta be Ooh. honest, James. I wasn't really listening because I was being. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can listen to it in post, and I'm sure you'll That's hear true. it. So. That's true. <laughs> I'm sure it was great. Thanks, James. <laughs> well, I'm sure your beatboxing was great too. I just, uh, I was trying to. Uh, you know. <laughs> I'm honestly impressed that you were able to come up with that many rhymes. Well, I'd like to say that I was being an active listener, Samuel, but in all honesty, a lot of my brain power was going to figuring out rhymes to this story as I was listening oh. to it. So I was I was writing out some notes on my phone as I was <laughs> listening to you talk. <laughs> well, well, we're just taking notes. That's, at least at least that's one more hero who's not left unsung. That's right. Yep. That's right. Exactly. All right. Well, any other thoughts, guys? You Eunice, you nice girl. <laughs> <laughs> See, that, that was better than my pun, at least, because you true. knew what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And also stay away from Arkansas. Yes, yeah, seriously. Stay away from Hot Springs. If you're a mobster, if you're yeah, a cop. Well, if you're a mob, should we be giving crime lords advice here? <laughs> yeah. No, if you're a cop, definitely go to Hot Springs. There, yeah, let's flip If, if you're a New York cop, please go there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, well, thank you for listening, and we'll see you guys on the next one. See you, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.